Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple so that you can fuel your best with less. Less time, less money, and less stress. I'm Ben Brown, co-founder and CEO of BSL Nutrition, and I'm excited to have you join me on this journey. Each week, I'll be sharing expert advice from leaders in the field of nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and supplementation who actually practice what they preach and are also on a mission to positively impact as many people as possible in a meaningful way. Today's episode is brought to you by my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. When you use the Complete Essentials, you'll no longer need pre, during, and post-workout supplements. You can save time, money, and energy, and get all the beneficial nutrients you need in one delicious, easy-to-mix drink. Make sure you guys stay tuned after the show where I'll share a nice little discount for all of our listeners on your first product purchase. As always, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to join me. And if you feel like there's anything in this episode that really resonates with you or you feel could positively impact someone you care about, then please share this with them. Subscribe and leave a positive rating and review. And hey, if you have any questions that you'd like me to answer on the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show, then just shoot me an email. You can reach me at ben at bslnutrition.com. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Jim Brown, who is a former bodybuilder who's been in the industry for over 20 years. He's coached all types of athletes, the co-author of the Metabolic Blowtorch Diet and Testosterone Optimization Therapy Bible, and the creator of Forge Training. He is also the co-owner of Optimized Life Nutrition with Jay Campbell and Joshua Smith, and just a really good humble, down-to-earth dude who's been in the trenches for years and years and is getting great results. And uh, and so I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Jim Brown, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for coming on the Smart Nutrition Made Simple podcast. I'm super excited to have the opportunity to connect. Well, I'm honored. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's neat to, like you said, connect with guys like you and, and have discussions. Um, you know, you, you have a nice product out on the market. We have products. It's cool to kind of talk shop with guys like you and, and figure out how you're doing it, how we're doing it. And, you know, it, it's, it's good, man. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. That's what I, you know, that's really, I, I talk about it a lot, but it's one of the things I enjoy the most about having a podcast. And part of my reason for starting, it was just giving me the opportunity, honestly, and selfishly was just to like, to be able to learn from guys like you. Um, and you know, just feature your expertise and, and share with the world what everyone needs to know about from, from guys that have been in the trenches for a long time and have been getting really good results. Um, because it's stuff that people can't filter through when we just go to Google and we just start searching through. It's There's too much clickbait. There's too much marketing. It's impossible to know what we should be focused on, especially with all these fad diets. And so that's why, again, is I really uh, enjoy the opportunity to connect with people like you that have been doing it. And so with that, how did you, you know, how long have you been in the industry? Kind of what's your niche and, 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 you know, what's your kind of, um, what's your day to day look like? What's my deal? Uh, well, <laughs> when I was, deal? <laughs> when I was 13 years old, I met a, a, a bodybuilder guy and, um, that was it for me. You know, uh, I was in martial arts before that and, had been doing pushups since I can remember, but, um, you know, I, I met this guy 13 years old and, you know, I was asking him everything, you know, I bugged him for two days. He stayed at our house. He was, he was out, came out to Arizona to hunt with some friends. And anyway, um, week after that, I took my paper route money and went down to Kmart and bought a, a DP weight set that you fill up with water. And, uh, that's when I started resistance training. So, um, from that day forward, I wanted to be a bodybuilder. And I uh, competed from, um, I was 18 years old to 31 was my last show. Um, so I had a good run. Um, you know, I competed natural first for um, six years and then not natural. And, uh, and during that time, you know, I've had a, a couple nutrition companies, um, managed a health food store for seven years, trained a thousand people, um, you know, in and out. I, I have a day job now for the last 20 years, but um I don't train too many people in person, but um, now we have a nutrition company. Uh, of course, my writing partner, Jay Campbell, and I put together a couple books. Um, you know, we have, uh, I have everything uh, that I've ever learned from training into a system I call Forge Training. And 
you know, we have a select group of clients that we take on one-on-one. Um, either I, I train or Jay and myself train, but not so much into the, the one-on-one training um, aspect of it anymore. But um, 46 now, so I've been training for 33 years, and uh, you know, I love it, man. It's been my passion throughout my life. That's awesome. And so you, you've obviously been on a mission your whole career to learn and implement the the tools that it takes to get and stay lean you know, for the most part. And, and a lot of what you talk about is not just, you know, plugging in nutrition and supplementation to get lean, but to get lean while maintaining your health, which for so many people, especially physique competitors, it's, it's backwards. You know, it's like, we'll do whatever we have to do to get lean, but that's like when they're at their leanest, they're also at their worst in terms of their health. You know, when they're stepping on stage and like we have this sort of ideal in our, in our society of the leaner we are, like the better we'll feel, the healthier we'll be. And it's to, to a degree it's, it's backwards. And so I'm, I'm curious how your journey has looked in terms of your nutrition over these 30 years of training. Um, what are the things that, you know, the kind of the big things that you've learned along the way, or some, maybe some of the big mistakes that you've made, um, you know, along the way? Well, I think like most guys um, that, that had gone through my course, you know, being trying to be a super heavyweight competitor, you know, with 300 pound guys on stage, um, you know, you go through this period where, you know, any, any weight gain is good gain. And, um, you know, when I competed naturally, I, I, I kind of, I think it was Dan Duchesne, I think at the time that kind of influenced this. Um, but I always started my natural diet um, at 10% body fat. And after six to seven weeks of dieting that way, I would take a week off and then continue, but never longer than, you know, 12 weeks. And that worked out really well for me. And I, at the end there, I, I had a formula down where I minimized muscle loss, you know, because when you're competing naturally and, and you get below, you know, for me, the number was 7%. When I get below 7%, I'm having to do a lot of extreme cardio and stuff, dieting, um, caloric deficit, then, you know, you start to lose muscle. And so, um, you know, for me, it was starting a diet at a specific body fat range. And that was, you know, 10%. Um, mm. Then I started using anabolics and, you know, you get this thing like you're going to, you know, I did a plenty of research, but you still think, okay, I'm going to gain 80 pounds, you know, so I have to eat and you start eating like, you know, you're, a, you're pregnant with quadruplets. And, um, you know, uh, I, I did that. And then when you try to get ready for a show, um, you know, you suffer through this diet to get you know, from 20 some percent body fat down to acceptable range. And, uh, you almost kill yourself. Um, and you realize that, uh, you know, when you do the numbers and you compare, you know, what you gained over the year in terms of lean muscle, it it really wasn't any different if you, as if you would have stayed leaner. So for me, um, full circle advice is, uh, to stay, you know, fairly lean, whatever your number is for me, that's 10 to 12%. Um, and I wouldn't start a diet, you know, if I was to compete again, I wouldn't start a diet until I was 10% body fat. Um, because, mm. you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose that 3% and get around the seven range pretty, pretty easily. And then it's going to be a fight to the end, you know, to get below that, to get to five. And, uh, you know, if you start a, a diet at 16 or 20% body fat, you're going to be smoked. At least it didn't ever work for me. Um, so my, my advice would, uh, would be to stay in a in, in a slightly uncomfortable body fat level, and that's something for me where I have to work and, and actually pay attention to it, but not kill myself is is around ten percent now. So that's kind of the standard I hold myself to. And um, you know the what what foods does it take to be there? Well, I, you know um, my catchphrase is meat and vegetables make your dream comes true, dreams come true. And uh, so that that's you know what I try to get most of my clients and what I eat. 90 to 85 to 95 percent of the time is meat and vegetables it's pretty realistic and in line with a lot of stuff that we've talked about on the show here and you know like i said i mean it's it's not sexy per se it's not some fad based thing it's like look if you predominantly eating meat and veggies with most of your meals or with all of your meals then odds are pretty good you're going to be successful now 
so with respect to what you're talking about in terms of dieting down and stuff, let's take a step back for a second and assume mm-hmm. that the average listener is not at 10% body fat, right? They're at 20% body fat. And, and so for a lot of us, we think about, you know, I want to get, I want to get a lot leaner, both males and females. And, and again, as we have this idea of, of getting shredded, getting six pack abs. And I'm curious in your experience is where's the sort of the law of diminishing returns for both men and women in terms of at what point, like do men, right, start getting leaner and leaner. And then all of a sudden we're really starting to sacrifice uh, our lifestyle. We're starting to sacrifice our pleasure in order to maintain a certain level of leanness. Um, And then same thing for females because, again, is I think we have this false perception that we're going to feel great at a certain level, a lower level of body fat, um, when in actuality, a lot of people may be hovering around in a good spot for them in that they're living the life that they want to live. They can enjoy themselves maybe on the weekends a little bit, but tighten it up again on the, uh, you know, during the week. Uh, what's your experience with that? Yeah, let's be clear. When we were talking about getting in a condition for a show, um, you know, everything's out the window. And and as you pointed out, man, there's um, for me when I get when I get six, you know, sub six to five percent body fat, I'm not I'm not happy. Um, you know, if I if I if I have miss a meal by a minute, um, you know, it feels like you're going to die. So, yeah, to be clear, that's happiness isn't at five percent. At least it's not for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is a balance, um, you know, and depending on your current lifestyle and what your lifestyle is, but there's a balance to be had where you're happy with the way you look and feel and you're healthy. Um, and it's something that you can live with, you know, I mean, if, if you have a hard time eating vegetables every day, um, and you want bread with every meal, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's going to work, um, based on, you know, normal metabolism. Um, so there's gotta be a compromise, but, but I think that most people, most average people can stay in a, in a range of being fit, you know, and that looks like for men, um, you know, 10% to 13, 14%, um, blood work looks great, optimized hormones, healthy, um, enjoying themselves, but takes a little bit of discipline to stay there. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a lifestyle range. I think that's doable for almost anybody. Um, for females, I mean, the numbers are a little bit higher, of course. Um, but you know, that it's going to be what, I don't know, 15 to 20%, um, perhaps for female. I mean, it's, it depends. Um, if, if we're talking about like an actual DEXA scan or a bod pod or, you know, caliper reading, but there's, there's a compromise in there somewhere between being, um, almost a monk with your food and, you know, having the weekends off or, you know, um, there's a compromise, but, but, uh, you know, if a lot of people had said, like, I have one client, it's like, Oh, it must be, you know, it's so easy for you. You're so disciplined. And I'm like, Hey, you know, I sit at home every night too. It's six, seven o'clock and dream about getting up and picking up a bag of chips and eating the whole thing, you know, but it, it, it doesn't ever happen. So we are kind of shortly after the new year, lots of people are, undergoing their quote-unquote diets, whatever that means, and I don't really want to get into the details of that, but they're following some more strict eating regimen than they've likely been doing before and probably exercise regimen. And what are the kind of, what are the things that we should be looking for when we are, we're cleaning up our nutrition? How do we know when we're starting to burn more body fat? Like what are the signals that we should be looking for and kind of, and kind of embracing as far as fat loss goes? I mean, to me, it's the, the cessation of being hungry. You know, when you're hungry to me, that tells, at least in my experience, that tells me that I'm burning body fat. Um, unless it's a sugar related insulin spike or, you know, some type of, um, glycemic change, rapid glycemic change. But for the most part, um, you know, when I'm dieting and I'm losing body fat, I can eat a half a pound of meat and a big plate of full of broccoli and be hungrier after I finished it than before. And I know that my metabolism is, is operating correctly then. And I'm in the fat burning mode, but, um, you know, in order for, to burn body fat, I mean, I don't think that there's a hack or a way around it, you know, short of using 
some type of amphetamine or something that, that you're going to be hungry, you know, that's it. Um, and you have to embrace that a little bit. That's, that's, I mean, that's it. You know, we, we, um, of course we, we came out with a fasting optimization book, you know, and, and, and that's kind of a way to intermittent fast. And a lot of people, um, do like that, do like the prolonged fast because for me and most people after breakfast and that, or that first meal time and the second meal time, you can go a long period of time without having hunger pains or being hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's partially why people like to fast or, or that's caught on other, maybe it's just because it's kind of a new thing, but, but um, that's the only other way that, that I can think about getting around, you know, being in that, having that sensation that you're, you're hungry and you're burning fat. Um, but for me, that's a key indicator. And, and for clients, you know, if they're not hungry, um, throughout the day or when they wake up or after meals, then I know we're just not there yet. We're not in the zone yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, and that's some of the things that, well, one is, you know, your guy's book, the metabolic blowtorch diet, which we talked about on a previous episode with Jay Campbell. And so that's a great resource for anyone that's listening that you haven't had the opportunity to check that out. Make sure you check out the metabolic blowtorch diet. I really like the way you guys set it up, but with respect to the fasting component, what I appreciate a lot about all of the all of the focus that's being placed on some aspect of fasting, whatever it is, and and there's a million different ways that we could ex- we could extrapolate what intermittent fasting is. So let's not go down that road. But but the one thing about it is establishing a level of hunger, and right, and and likely when we're establishing this hunger, getting comfortable with the hunger to a degree, is then we're going to be burning more body fat to say nothing of the anti-aging longevity benefits, depending on how long you're fasting, all that good stuff. So I, I'm, I'm with you there. And, and for people listening, just understanding is like, you know, burning body fat, um, eating in a caloric deficit, which is necessary. Like it's not fun and it doesn't have to be totally miserable uh, depending on where you're starting from. But I think we, you know, a lot of people have the tendency to kind of jump on a certain eating plan only to realize like, wow, this is kind of really strict or not (laughs) as fun as I thought it would be. And I'm kind of getting hungry and I guess I'm just going to, you know, uh, go back to my old habits. And one of the things that I like about um, people who have not, not that I'm saying that, that, you know, my, our book has done anything extraordinary i mean we we put together a good program but um the thing that that i've noticed a lot is a civilian person just somebody who doesn't really know a lot about nutrition picks that up or or starts to fast and goes through a 12 hour or even a 24 hour fast and it it never fails or it hasn't yet where somebody this said person will say you know what i learned the most is that my mind is telling me that i'm hungry but i'm really not and I can overcome that. I can get over that. It's like, yes, you can, man. You're not going to die if you don't eat for 24 hours. Um, and most of the hunger signals that you get, you know, yeah, I think, again, blood sugar, not, not counting. But, um, you know, it's a lot of your mind telling you that you have to eat or that it's a time to eat or that it's a reward food or, you know, whatever the craving is. But um, that's, that's something that everybody should do is, is fast to experience that and realize that, Hey, this is just my mind telling me this. I don't have to eat, you know, this is something that I can deprogram and, yeah. and I can, I can manage, I can own this, you know, but, uh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, there's, you're going to have to be a little bit uncomfortable to burn body fat. Oh, that's good. And I wish it's something, I mean, again, and it takes practice and it's stuff that people mm-hmm. need to get more comfortable with and it's a learned response and then you like each time you do it and it's even like with intermittent fasting if you start at 12 hours and then you start to push it to 16 and you want like i think i'm gonna go for 18 or 20 but each time you do it you get a little more comfortable with it and you start to know like your body signals like i'm i'm cool like i'm grumbling a little bit but i'm okay i know i'm gonna be okay for another while or if you're just completely crashing like i need to eat right now right but more people would benefit from experiencing that and then the second part is like you said at night it's just habitual stuff um, right. and kind of 
Are there any, actually, are there any tricks that you have for helping people get out of that, those behavioral patterns of, you know, I mean, that's when most people get in trouble, frankly, is like the time in between they get home from work and the time they go to bed, wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, You know, one of the things that that I try to, of course, I'm a whole food guy, you know, if, you know, Jack, um, Jack Lillian had it right, you know, if God didn't make it, don't eat it. And uh, he had it figured out, preach, preach the good word. You know, if it, if it didn't come out of the ground or it wasn't walking, don't eat it. And there's, it's simple. It sounds really simple and it, it sounds almost too simple to work or, you know, whatever the reason is that people dismiss it. But there's so many truths in that, you know, um, when you look at a manufactured product on the shelf, like a potato chip, I mean, do you have any idea of the amount of resources, money, time, science, everything that has gone into making that potato chip the exact product that it is. Um, There's human psychology, there's developmental, evolutionary developmental biology. Um, There's countless of resources and years have been been put into these products so that when you bite into them, stuff happens in your brain and you want to eat more of them. I mean, it's, it's really, it's nefarious, you know, it's, it's, these products are, are really tough. And so, um, my best advice is to not eat them. You know, they're, they're, you go through a period of time and I, I do the same thing with sugar and, and artificial sweeteners. You know, if you cut out that stuff, there'll come a time, depending on how long, you know, how bad your condition is, but there'll come a time when you bite into a bell pepper and go, Oh my God, it's, it's too sweet. Or you accidentally use, um, you know, a packet of ketchup and you're like, wow, this tastes like, you know, sugar, red sugar. And, uh, that's, Mm -hmm. to me, that's the, one of the best effective ways to get over all that. Of course, you're still going to have cravings, but if you can not eat those products for a certain amount of time, the cravings go away. They do. And just like you reset your sugar balance or your, your taste buds for sugar. You, you mentioned the artificial sweeteners and it's kind of interesting in our industries because you've got kind of the camp that's like, stay away from the artificial sweeteners. They're not good for you in whatever respect that is, you know, and then you've got the people the maybe the research uh, science based population that's like, there's nothing wrong with artificial sweeteners. We know based on the research, eat as much as you want of artificial sweeteners, they can be beneficial for fat loss. But you're suggesting that the the mere sweetness in and of itself is something that can be a saboteur when it comes to weight loss. Absolutely. I mean, if you go, you know, if you, if you're using Splenda, Splenda is three, 300 times sweeter than sugar. And it's so sweet that they have to color it with maltodextrin so that you see the amount going in your coffee and actually feel mm. like you put something in there. I mean, that's why it's cut. It's so sweet. Well, if you cut that, if you, if you're a two packet of Splenda person in your coffee, you cut that out or, you know, you may not even be eating fruit, but if you do eat fruit, you, you might enjoy it. But if you go a couple weeks without any Splenda, without any artificial sugars, and then you go back and have an apple, it tastes freaking amazing. You know, it, it's really mm-hmm. different in it. And for me, I mean, I'm talking from experience and, and not only my clients, but, you know, from me, if I stay away from artificial sweeteners, fruits and vegetables and foods taste much better. And biting into an apple is, is really a reward. You know, it's, it's a sweet yeah. sensation. I, kind of I think the way it's supposed to be and um, you know I don't crave I don't crave refined sugar yeah I think that's a really interesting and and really valuable perspective because we can look at research all day long and you know we can look at anecdotal evidence all day long but you know at the end of the day is what for people that have you know are are doing it or experiencing it or are doing it with clients and helping clients be successful with with weight loss and fat loss is you know simply the process of eating more sweet things is likely going to lead you to eat more sweet things um so i think that's that's pretty valid jim so you have um you know you have something that you talk a lot about called insulin controlled lifestyle Mm-hmm. And, and you alluded it to it with kind of your, uh, you know, meat and veggies makes your dreams come true. Could you tell us a little bit more about insulin controlled lifestyle, what it means, how to implement it? Right. So uh, if you've read the book or, or heard any of our stuff, we're, we're huge metformin fans or berberine fans. And, um, you know, we're coming from the school of thought that, that pretty much every disease factor or or disease process in the human body is from inflammation or at least started with inflammation. 
Um, and so, you know, the insulin controlled lifestyle is about minimizing vascular inflammation um, by controlling your insulin levels. And, um, you know, if we take a typical person or a typical Joe off the street, um, you know, that's, that's a little bit higher in body fat, not working out, um, you know, it's reasonable to assume that they're in a certain stage of, of pre-diabetes, you know, and, and um, the diabetic ep epidemic in the U.S. is astonishing. Um, I, I can't pull off the numbers out of my head, but um, it was it was a little while ago that I read something about the, the um, how many diabetics in the United States are going to be or how many diabetics there are going to be in 20, um, 2030 or 2035. And the number was, mm -hmm. you know, insane. And so um, one of the things that I like to teach or at least leave clients thinking with um, or anybody that reads our books or any of our products is controlling your insulin levels. And if you can do that um, and you start to realize what that is and you learn how to master that, um, I think it makes, you know, a reversal for an anti-aging benefit. It, it makes the most sense. Um, it's definitely going to help you lose body fat or control body fat. It's going to help you reverse certain disease processes that are going on. Um, and so that's just based around, you know, insulin, um, you know, it should be used for, or insulin is a tool that you can use for a certain purpose. And so we use carbohydrates mostly around, around a workout. And, uh, then based on your insulin sensitivity and your body fat level, you know, you're at, at very low carbohydrates for the rest of the day. Um, or at least until your body fat level changes and you have a need for carbohydrates. But um, you know, I think Poliquin, um, for all the stuff that he says that that's uh, controversial, you know, the one that I really like is, you know, if you if you don't need carbohydrates, don't eat them, and if you don't deserve yeah, you them, don't it. eat them. And you know, um, so that that's kind of where where we're coming from. And so, meat and vegetables, meat and vegetable based diet, fruits, you know. Um, fruits thrown in there, um, carbohydrates around workouts, and that's all part of the insulin control lifestyle. Okay. So the best way that people are controlling insulin is by, by sort of minimizing their carbohydrate intake, right? Right. Yep. With intelligent carbohydrate selection and uh, realizing what that does to your body. So, uh, you know, some people, um, you know, I, I don't expect everybody to walk around with a glucometer and, and stick in themselves 30 times a day like I've done, but you know, by doing that, I've learned exactly what happens to my body when I eat certain foods. And um, that's how really I, I, I tuned in what foods react well for me. And, and if I need insulin or I need, you know, a carbohydrate load, exactly what to eat, you know, um, for me. And um, I can kind of relate that information to people. And it's, it's out there with a the glycemic index. I mean, that's pretty accurate for everyone. Um, but it, it, learning how to control your insulin, I think is, is a very, very valuable tool for anti-aging and fat loss for sure. And recovery and, and, you know, doing whatever you want to do in sports. And so with, with the glucometers, you can determine even more specifically than the amount of carbs, which types of carbs are affecting you and to what degree. Yeah. Yeah. So for instance, um, you know, what, what's the difference between 50 grams of white potato and 50 grams of sweet potato? Is there a difference in, you know, in, in your blood sugar, if you eat one versus the other, um, what's the difference between an apple and a banana, you know, those things, um, that may not be as, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more, um, detail oriented sure. than the, than the most than regular person would be, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's, um, most people can tell too. Once you once you started controlling your food a little bit and you start to diet, um, you know you can tell when you get a sugar rush, or you can tell when you get an influx of carbohydrates, especially if you're if you're you know just eating meat and vegetables all day. Um, but but yeah. learning that and identifying with that, and then timing um, most of your carbohydrate intake uh, around workouts. What would that look like for your average Jane and Joe? That you know they do maybe three days a week of strength training. And they're just starting to eat healthier. And by healthier, I mean meat and veggies at every single meal and kind of trying to manage those carbs to just whole food sources. Um, how would you have them structure that peri-workout nutrition? Well, um, kind of be depending on how, how much body fat they have and how they're recovering. But, you know, for instance, um, I'll give you an example of, of one guy that we have um, that's, and a very controlled 1800 to 2200 calories a day. 
Um, he's sub 10%, but still gaining muscle. And um, it's meat and vegetables all day uh, until the training, until after his training session. And then he's doing um, 60 grams of either white or sweet potatoes. And um, that, oh, and a honey packet pre. And so he's, he's about 75 grams of carbohydrates around, around his workouts. Um, if we go lower, it, it hampers his recovery. If we go higher, it doesn't seem to benefit his recovery as much. Um, so we're kind of finding a balance of keeping fat loss at a maximum and eating just enough carbohydrates to recover effectively from workout to workout. Um, for mm -hmm. most people, I would say that's, you know, I mean, typically a bowl of oatmeal pre and then maybe, you know, another 30, 40 gram hit afterwards. And, and we're not counting vegetables as carbohydrates. Right. Um, so right. it would be something. Yeah. Yep. Something yeah, like so that. So for three average person, some, some, uh, maybe eggs and a, and a bowl of oatmeal, um, uh, before then they go and train and then maybe doing, um, you know, or so are you talking about doing like a protein shake with maybe juice in the protein shake or do you just limit it to like, let's say they're, they've got some body fat to lose. Let's say they're 15 or 20%. Do you do carbs in the post-workout shake or do you just limit it to real food in the post-workout meal? I would, I would, I would vary that on um, how fast, well, how much training they're doing and how much recovery we have to have. And so if it's something like you said, strength training three times a week, you're probably not because, you know, I'm working body parts you know, twice to three times in a week. So we want a fast recovery. Um, but if you're strength training three times a week, um, I don't know if, and you have that much body fat, I don't know if you're going to have to, you know, have a, have a carbo hit afterwards. Um, especially yeah. if you're eating vegetables, because even if you're eating, you know, four cups of broccoli a day, I mean, you're, you're still going to be at 60, 70 carbs. Um, so it's not like yeah. you're going to be in ketosis. Well, you may be in ketosis, but you're not going to be in a ketotic state for, for the whole day. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's really based on, um, you know, a balance between recovery and how much body fat you have and, and, want, to, and yeah. want to reduce. Now, what have you experienced in terms of different body types and their needs for different macronutrients? Do you adjust your, because you did mention uh, body fat and body type earlier, um, what are your kind of general recommendations based on and maybe you could just talk about the different body types so people can classify themselves accordingly yeah we we kind of broke that down in the book a little bit um with the meso ecto endomorph um and and we're generalizing here i know before anybody starts to blast me um just a disclaimer this is just generalized information um yeah if you if you're holding a lot of body fat and you're obese or okay 20 percent plus you probably don't have a great sensitivity in relationship to insulin. Um, if you're very lean and you find that you can eat anything that you want and you're not gaining fat, body fat, you probably have a higher sensitivity to insulin and can get a, need more carbohydrates and can utilize them properly. And so that's kind of how we start out um, to, to generalize. And, and there is no one you know, size fits all for everybody. But um, for the most part, if I get anybody – endo ectomesomorph eating meat and vegetables and then carbohydrates as they as needed by them to recover from workouts we're getting really close to tuning into their insulin sensitivity and and needs um, but for the most part um, I would I would be okay saying that it's pretty safe to say the fatter you are the more body fat that you have the poor insulin relationship that you have um, and probably the less carbohydrates that you should be eating I mean that sounds pretty fair so we've got a lot of kind of um, a lot of busy guys, busy dads on the go. Um, a lot of guys that travel, and and uh, guys and women that travel for work, and and I often get excuses that you know their their quote unquote diet gets thrown off because they're traveling, because they're entertaining. Do you have any tools or strategies that you would utilize with your clients or recommendations that you'd make for these types of people to kind of put the kibosh on these um, excuses? Yeah, I, I've been in outside sales for more than 20 years. And um, I, I think it's safe to say you could work with anybody, ask anybody that I've ever worked with and, and ask them, um, is there a cooler in Jim's car right now? And what does it have in it? Um, I, I really don't, 
you know, it's all about preparation and setting yourself up so you're not in a bad situation to make a, a choice that's not real conducive with your goals, right? And so if you leave the house with food in a cooler, then the likelihood of you pulling over to McDonald's and or whatever and making a bad choice is at a minimum. I mean, it still may happen if you don't care, but you have the food with you um, ready to eat. And so um, I don't leave the house without food. I have backup shakes in my car. I have, you know, almond packets everywhere stashed in all my cars. Um, and I leave the house every day with a cooler full of food. Um, because if I don't, you know, it's very difficult to make the correct choice. Or, you know, w- where am I going to go? If I pull over at a grocery store, do they have a deli? Well, I'm going to eat some crap processed meat. You know, it's, it's, it, it really hampers you from making bad decisions. Um, I have to entertain clients too. And almost everywhere that I've ever gone serves meat and vegetables, um, you know, steak and vegetables, whatever. Um, you can make the excuse then, oh, well, I have to drink. Well, I, I drink when I drink, it's, you know, straight bourbon or whiskey or whatever. And it's not a sugary drink. I don't, I don't drink beer very often. Um, I certainly don't eat dessert or, you know, load up on carbohydrates after I've drank. But um, you can still be sociable and have one drink that doesn't have a lot of calories in it. You can still go to a dinner and entertain clients and have meat and vegetables and not be a weirdo. Um, you know, there, there's not really a valid excuse for that. Um, when you do get in trouble and you don't have food with you and, and you're starving, you don't have a shake, an emergency bar or whatever, um, you know, now, now people are voting more and more with a fork every day. And, and all the, even the fast food restaurants have better choices now. Um, McDonald's has salads, Arby's has salads, you know, all these places have semi-legitimate choices, um, certainly better than a burger and fries. So, you know, it's, there's not really an excuse, you know, I'm busy. Well, then order food, man. I mean, this is like the golden age, dude. You know, when I was a bodybuilder, you you think you could order up food to go or, you know, I'm traveling to a restaurant. I went to my national meeting two years ago and I was dieting for this um, photo shoot we were doing, I had a week's worth of food delivered to the hotel prepped. I mean, there's no excuses, you know. There's there's very few excuses left these days other than, um, you know, I don't know. I'm an airline pilot, and I can't eat while I'm, you know, flying. Oh, okay. You know, there's going to be some one-offs, but um, there's not a legitimate sure. excuse, man. You know, and I guess it comes down to whether or not it's a priority for you because, like, look, I mean, you – maybe you just went out and bought the new iPhone and then you're bitching about how much meal delivery costs. Like, dude, you just spent a thousand dollars on a new phone. Like, yeah. It's you know, you get yeah. meal delivery for like 250 bucks a week. That would have been a month of meals that you could have. Think how much progress you could have made from five days of meal delivery for a month, you know? Um, yep. So all about putting into perspective. Um, you had mentioned alcohol intake. And, and I, I'm happy to hear that there's some, you know, leeway there in terms of still being able to, and I'm sure a lot of people listening are happy to hear that as well. Um, not that it's an excuse, but it's a reality. And right. so w- what have you experienced in terms of the role that alcohol plays? Because at the end of the day, it's not going to help with fat loss, but at what point does it start to inhibit, um, and sabotage people for one. And then second to that specifically for males, at what point does alcohol affect um, male hormones, adrogenic hormones, specifically testosterone to the degree that it should be avoided? Well, one of the things that um, is, is also raising in the U S and, and um, I'll credit Dr. Grossman for this is, is um, fatty acid liver disease. And uh, when you when you consume alcohol on a regular basis and your insulin levels aren't in control, um, you start to develop fatty acid liver disease, and <clears throat> it's an absolutely reversible condition. Um, you know your liver values start to go up, and and um, then you can look at your triglycerides, your insulin levels, and your alcohol intake, and kind of determine what's going on. But um, I, I think you know guys who are drinking on a regular basis. It's probably not the best decision, um, especially if you're not on testosterone replacement therapy. Um, I, I don't. I, I'm hesitant to say what the number is, number of drinks to to you know suppressing your testosterone level, but um, certainly doesn't help. And I, I would say generally for the the general po- population, um, 
the real danger is that drinking, you know, usually correlates with eating. And when you're drinking, especially if you've had a couple more drinks, then you're hitting the chip bowl or whatever, you know, you're at a party, um, then you're eating foods that you probably should be eating. And, you know, then, then it's a whole, it's a whole, um, bad situation after that, a decision making processes. But, um, I think that, you know, a, a semi occasional drink, maybe one to two a week, um, as long as it doesn't force you or, or influence you into some bad eating habits after that, um, it's pretty safe. I, I mean, I, I probably drink maybe, maybe once a week, you know, four times a month, something like that. It doesn't seem to affect me negatively. Um, I could probably get away with a few more days out of that, but that's, that's legitimately like one drink after I've eaten everything. So, um, I don't know. I, I, as long as, as long as it doesn't get you into eating things that, that, um, you didn't plan for or getting you into certain eating behaviors, um, you know, I think moderate alcohol intake is, is, is fine. It's healthy, you know, um, glass of wine with, with a steak, you know, something like that, obviously. Um, but if you're drinking margaritas and beer, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's useless calories, man. I mean, when you're, yeah. when you're drinking beer plus, you know, plus then if we can get into gut issues, if you're hammering yourself with stress and, um, artificial sweeteners and acidic foods and processed foods all day long, and then uh, at the end of the day, you're washing yeast down your gut. Um, you know, your, your intestinal flora is going to be way off, man. And um, as we know, as you're well aware, um, you know, gut health is becoming more and more evident and we're getting more and more data and more and more people are talking about it and correlating disease processes with it. And so that's another consideration too, you know. One is margaritas are terrible. Uh, <laughs> it, and... Uh, I don't know. I was just thinking about that, but man, those things, as good as they may taste, sometimes those will give you the absolute worst hangover ever. Um, God <laughs> knows what they do to cut. Get a massive insulin spike with with uh, alcohol, right? <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, I'm sure a lot of uh, you know a lot of people. What I've noticed, I'm, I mean, I'm 38 years old, and so what I've noticed is really it's just about functionality. And it's like, if you have more than a couple glasses of wine, or even one, you know, bigger glass of wine, it's just what it does to blood sugar, what it does to sleep, how it affects, you know, if you get low quality sleep, I mean, you and I both know, it's like, then you're just not as productive the next day. And so for me, um, that's, you know, that's a really big component. Or if I'm, I'm, you know, just lethargic, and then I don't want to play with my kids or, you know, I'm just in a bad mood or feeling like crap. Like that's just, it's just really not worth it's it. A, yeah. I mean, it's a depressive, you know, I, I don't, um, I, I, the, the main thing that I see, you know, my mom was an alcoholic and, and the, the trouble that I see with people, if you're using alcohol to as some type of escape or some type of, um, almost like a medication to, to, to soothe yourself, then that's not good. You know, if you're drinking, um, you know, you and your wife sit down and you go out and have a steak or whatever, you know, and you have a glass of wine or you're, you're with work clients and you have a, a drink, sure. But, um, yeah. you know, if you're coming home and you're drinking, you know, three, four drinks a night just to get to sleep or to t- calm down after work, man, um, that's, that's not good. That's not a good lifestyle. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know. and it's not, even though you, you feel like it's something that can help you unwind or for some people go to sleep, it's not helping you sleep better. It's, it's suppressing those uh, right. deep sleep hormones to the degree that you're not getting deep restful sleep and it's, it's going to impact you. So I'd love to find out more about your upcoming book because that by the time this comes out, that will have launched. And so I want people to check that out. Could you tell us a little bit about your book, what it's called, a little bit of details sure. about it? So this is a second edition. Um, of the testosterone replacement therapy book that originally Jay Campbell came out with. Um, this is called the testosterone optimization therapy Bible. And um, we've kind of recoined TRT to TOT testosterone optimization therapy. Um, so it, it has a lot of the same content as the first book, maybe half of the book, you know, we're going to run you through the mechanics of what is, what are all your hormones? What are your blood tests? What does, what does all that stuff mean? How to understand them? Um, how to arm yourself intelligently to have a clinical level discussion with a provider 
um, to determine if you need replacement therapy or not and how to evaluate or at least have an understanding to look at your own blood work um, <clears throat> and pay attention to things like inflammation markers and your hormones um, to kind of better track and see you know how you're doing from a from an anti-aging or a health benefit or from an health angle um, you know this whole book is geared toward and everything that we talk about is you being more proactive in your health care and this is just one of the things you know um, you have to pay attention to your blood work you have to pay attention to your opt or to your hormone levels and then try to optimize those if need be um, anyway so that's you know the first half of the book is on that then we go through a whole thing with agents of change um, some of the up-and-coming supplements and um, peptides and things that are kind of new and that that are on our radar level. Um, we have a spiritual spirituality section, um, kind of a mindful mindfulness, um, how to optimize yourself on every angle. Uh, we have a science team of doctors that have contributed um, specific articles or um, uh, question answer sessions. Um, so it's at a very high level from all angles for everything testosterone optimization. Um, Dr. Jim Meehan and Jay's wife, Monica, actually put a, they have a female hormone optimization book coming out. And so one of the chapters is on that. Um, mm -hmm. It's just a, you know, my biggest concern was that we weren't just going to rebrand the second book um, and, and reprint the same material. It's a completely different book. It's completely rewritten. rewritten. Um, I would say at least 50%, if not more, new material. Uh, we have some things in there that are going to be absolutely um, groundbreaking. Dr. Rob um, had provided us some information about anti-estrogens. Um, just it's, it's a valuable book. I'm, I'm super happy with it. Uh, we have over 500 citations. There's there's a massive amount of resources and work that went into that. And so um, I think it'll be the uh, standardized book in testosterone and optimizational hormones for quite a while. It sounds amazing. It sounds like an exhaustive resource and for, for everyone listening. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it sounds like uh, legitimately, I mean, it sounds like it's got everything in it. And I know, you know, Jay is pretty outspoken about it as he should be. I know you guys have put in a lot of time and energy. I mean, this is more or less your guys' life's work. But almost no, any yeah. question that we've ever been asked on the boards or, you know, on Facebook or, you know, something comes up or my doctor said this, or, you know, um, I have a doctor that's injecting me once a week with this and that. Any, literally every question is in the book and um, it's all there. And so if you're currently on testosterone or, you're even a 30 year old guy. I would, uh, you know, we highly recommend that you get your blood work done just so you can have the linear, you know, you have data and track and see what's going on with your health. But um, anytime that you go in and talk to a physician, you know, you should be at a certain level of education. And I'm not saying that, you know, you want to go in and, and uh, play WebMD with your MD, but you know, let's face it in today's healthcare, man, you're, you're going to have a very short visit you're probably not going to have somebody that's going to sit down and explain everything to you. And so it benefits you greatly to, if you're on, you know, considering therapy or you're on therapy to read this, get this information down so that you can have clinical level discussions with your provider and ask him, you know, he, he or her, why are you doing this? What, what are your thoughts on my anti-estrogen? Why am I on this? You know, why do I take this? Hey, I noticed this in my blood work. What do you, you know, how do you feel about that? And um, yeah. that should be, you know, anything. I mean, if you're, you know, going through any disease process, you should absolutely do your own research and, and become an, you know, as, as educated as you can to be able to have those discussions with your providers because, you know, they, they don't have, they can't catch everything, you know, and, and, and the more that you come in with at least relevant data and your blood work and legitimate concerns, you know, I think the more productive the visit and, and ultimately the more productive your therapy can be with them. Yeah, I mean, you got to go out of your way to be your own advocate and learn about this stuff, you know, especially with the prevalence of hormone replacement therapy for both men and women and just learning from you guys about um, the, the right ways um, and when, you know, you should be looking for uh, testosterone replacement, if you should be looking for it, how frequently you should be utilizing it, what are the things to look for. And, and I've spoken to so many males and females that are, whether they're, it's prescription or they're utilizing it through anti-aging clinics or what have you, which are popping up left and right. And there's no 
standardization to why one person's doing one thing and they're getting a shot once every two weeks or, you know, twice a week or it's pellets or whatever. Um, you know, people need to go out of their way to, to start to understand this stuff, especially if it's something that you're considering or you're worried that it may be something that you are going to need, if not now, down the road. Um, and uh, so I'm looking forward to getting my hands on it and and digging in and anything that I can do to help support you guys, by all means. Um, and Thank you, man. Uh, and I appreciate so, that. Dude, absolutely. So where can people find this book and where can people find out more about everything else that you guys are up to? Um, you can go to trtrevolution.com and that'll get you into the sphere with, uh, you know, Jay's podcast. Um, that'll get you into the books. Um, there's uh, you can go to GSD mode. Um, some of our, our um, podcasts are on there. Uh, we have a YouTube channel for TRT revolution. Um, you know, our nutritional site, Optimized Life Nutrition, uh, my training site, Forge Training, advancedforgetraining.com. Uh, you know, it's all over the place. But if you go to TRT Revolution, um, that'll get you into the world, into our world, and um, you can find all our stuff through there. But uh, that's where we can sign up. We can get you signed up for the book there, and we'll let you know or notify you when the book's available and where it's available. TRTRevolution.com. If you guys are interested in all things testosterone related, make sure you go there and check it out. If you're interested in specific and individualized nutrition and training that gets phenomenal results, evidenced by Jim's 30 plus years in the industry, make sure to go to advanced advancedforgetraining.com. And then we'll of course have all these links in the show notes. And then uh, for uh, Jay and Jim's amazing nootropic supplement, which I do highly recommend. Um, it's a phenomenal product. Go to optimizelifenutrition.com. And with that said, Jim, thank you very much for your time and wisdom. Uh, we very much appreciate it. Thank you, man. It's an absolute uh, joy to talk to you, man. It was a great discussion. I think we covered some really cool, cool stuff. Yeah, brother. It was good. We'll have to do it again soon. And uh, until then, I will, uh, well, I'll talk to you later. You take care. Thank you. So there you have it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Jim Brown. Make sure to check out the show notes over at bslnutrition.com slash episode 37. And make sure to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes so that we can help more people make smart nutrition simple. This episode was brought to you by BSL Nutrition and the Complete Essentials All-in-One Training Drink. If you've been looking for a comprehensive workout supplement that can help support great energy both in and around your workouts as well as reduce muscle soreness naturally without all the caffeine and artificial sweeteners, then head over to bslnutritionshop.com and type in podcast at checkout for 15% off your first purchase of either grape and or lemon lime. Until next time, take care.